Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. makes the heart grow fonder, as they say. We're back after a few weeks away. The first international break of 23-24 is already upon us. We've had six match days in the UPL, and there are only two clubs left in Europe. There really is so much to cover in this episode. Get ready for it, as England and Ukraine need to gain this weekend. It's a pleasure to give a very warm U plus airport welcome to Simon Peach. Simon's chief football writer for PA, as well as their Manchester United and England reporter. So who better to help us preview the event of the week? Strap yourselves in, guys. This is another episode of Ukraine Plus Football. England! England! Thank you for support! England! England! Thank you for support! Before we dive into this week's events, let's go back to March. I mean, for us, it was it wasn't the most ex- exciting, memorable experience. But I mean, Ray, I mean, what were your, shall we say, lowlights of uh, that event? Hi, Adam. Hi, guys. Yeah, that's a uh, national week coming up, and uh, we recalling the game with England was under Slan Rotan, who is not having his best time at the moment in the league. But yeah, he was a one-time. Uh, Ukrainian national team manager and uh, honestly it's like we're sitting in the bar right now we just recall remember the time when we played England and we didn't have a proper squad couldn't possibly care about the outcome uh, if you look at the game now so gosh thank god we have a new manager thank god we can talk about it in a different team of things you know and yeah that's the kind of games which you wouldn't really want to forget because it's it was I mean, a happening, right? For the players, indeed. But uh, <laughs> that hurts. I mean, th- those kind of performances—they <laughs> don't help us sell our players. Definitely. So, in Andrew, it was almost the perfect storm, wasn't it, of misfortune? Well, I think the key takeaways that we have to take into this game ahead of it from the first home fixture for England, per se, uh, was that Ruslan Rotan came into that game. He didn't have much preparation at all. He was juggling two jobs as well as the Ukraine national team job. So he was also the under-21 manager, which he sped off to the day after. He had some decent success with that team because it was his team, per se, in the summer. And also, he was also a club manager of Alexandria, which, as Ray alluded to, they're not doing too well in the league at the moment. But if we, you know, even forget about Rotang and think about exactly what happened on the pitch, it was a completely domineering, dominating display by England in the first half. Um, it was lucky that it was 2 0 at half time. And because of the special occasion that it was, you know, there was loads of Ukraine fans in the away end 
there were loads of Ukrainian refugees across the stadium. Ultimately, it felt like a special occasion. And I feel that Gareth Southgate literally told his players at halftime, just step off the gas. Let's not make this a humiliation. We've won it anyway. And yeah, that will be it. I mean, let me just tell you some of the players that featured in that game for Ukraine. Malinovsky was playing right mid or right wing per se. He's not even in this squad coming up, which we'll touch on later. Uh, Alexander Svatok, who's Dnipro 1 centre-back, who's had a, him and his whole team have had a terrible time uh, as in Europe, in the European qualifiers this this past month. He's not in the squad either. Alexander Karavayev has been brought into the Ukraine squad for this upcoming fixture as a reserve player, albeit he's been excelling more as a right winger rather than a right back where he played and had a, a terrible sort of difficult match uh, against the likes of Madison and, you know, anyone who was coming up against him. And let's not forget, Yevhen Konopranka came on when you, Ukraine were 2-0 down. He decided to be subbed on kind of thing. It, 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 it seems like a complete, like sort of testimonially kind of charity game, that whole match, to be honest. And I'm hoping going into this next one, it's going to be a lot more serious and a lot more competitive. That's uh, just, that's the minimum we can ask for, just competition from Rebrov's new side. I think very well put there, very well put. In Simon, first of all, great to have you with us. Thank you for taking time out of your evening schedule to join us. Um, I, first, what are your recollections of that day? Do you think, uh, I mean, Andrew Ray, did they sum it up from the England perspective? And have England been since then? And, you know, what's the mood in the country ahead of this game? Yeah, so my my overriding memory of it was that it was a special occasion more than a, a competitive match. The the 4,200 Ukraine fans, there was a 1,000 displaced Ukrainians invited by the Football Association. There was the show of solidarity and unity before kickoff. Um, and I'll be honest, because England was so focused on bouncing back from the World Cup when they played Italy, when it got to the Ukraine game, you, you look at it a day or two before and then you go, obviously there's so much going on in the country in itself. And then you look, right, so you've got Ruslan Rotan as manager. You appear to have an ageing squad that isn't kind of, we're not really entirely sure what to expect. And in my head, I still had the side that, Okay, lost heavily to England in the in the Euros, but was still showed a lot of quality during that tournament. And I was surprised, perhaps naively, at how kind of easy it was for England. Um, but obviously, once you think of the context, it's a lot more logical. And yeah, I mean, Andrew's mentioned uh, the players there um, and the, the issues and the people out of position and things like that. And England had Harry Kane. Bukayo Saka, Jude Bellingham, who I think is going to turn into an all right player. <laughs> um, I mean, you go through that squad and, and it would have been bad for England to lose that. And and it's since then they've, they've kicked on, obviously. It, it's a matter of when rather than if qualification is secured. But from the selection that Gareth Southgate has made this time around, and people might say that picking a Harry Maguire is a sign of weakness. I actually think it's a sign of how seriously he's taking this because... He knows he needs experienced players to deal with this situation because not obviously there's a so-called friendly against Scotland following this, but he will not be taking Ukraine lightly and the threats they pose. It's a very strong squad 
that he's named. He will not be experimenting whatsoever. Um, he didn't do it in June against North Macedonia or Malta. He certainly won't be doing it in Poland. So I, I'm expecting it to be a, a harder battle. I, I mean, I'm kind of foreseeing a score draw, um, but I don't know what you guys think. In Ukraine, also a strong June window. Not as strong as England's, it has to be said, but uh, some very impressive performances. What would you take from the June window? Looking forward to what do you want to see in this game coming up? Yeah, those were some impressive fixtures back then, and we were all excited. But it, it seems like an eternity ago right now, isn't it? Now we are looking at the Europe leagues. I mean, I myself started watching uh, Serie A, La Liga, you know, because a lot of our prospects out there, you know, I, I chose the clubs which I want to support in English Premier League, which I haven't done for ages because we have our representatives there. And I obviously want to all of them to be included. But yeah, Zabarni, Zinchenko, Tsihankov, Dovbik, um, not sure about Yaranchuk though, because he just joined Valencia. Uh, Malinovsky has not been uh, impressive yet in Genoa. He was not in the squad anyway, so I I think it's good that he's absent. Andrew, um, obviously you touched on earlier some of the unique names that appeared on in that game in March. Uh, obviously, kind of Plianka, for example, long gone from the squad. Um, how is the squad shaping up? Simon alluded to obviously England almost guarantee qualification if they win this game because they've already got a 100% record. They scored seven goals against North Macedonia when Ukraine just about come back, beat them 3-2 after going 2-0 down in a Red Rob's first competitive game, per se. And, you know, they dispatched Malta relatively easily too um, compared to Ukraine's 1-0 in June. So it is a very a contrasting squad list compared to England in terms of the squad values. You you see the likes of Jude Bellingham going for 100 million in the summer. Yes, we've got one 100 million player in terms of Milo Mudzik, but he's far from setting the world alight compared to the, the likes of Jude um, and other superstars in the England team. We've got Andre Lunin. Anatoly Trubin in the team from the goalkeeper perspective. But the issue we've got there is that neither of them have really been playing. Lunin started the first two games, then Kepa came in at Real Madrid and it seems like Kepa's going to be the number one. Trubin, he's not actually debuted for Benfica yet. So he's been without first team football since the under 21 Euros because Shakhtar didn't utilise him really during the pre-season. And he's not really had any practice. And we know the issues that you get from goalkeepers that come in and international breaks don't really have that sort of match day practice. They don't really get their elbows um, <laughs> on the ground in terms of diving and everything. And, you know, sometimes you get some stupid decisions uh, due to sort of the mental blips and the need to try and impress, which sometimes go a bit too far. The fact that Trubin was the number one uh, in June, it sort of lures me into the fact that he probably will start in these matches. Let's see. A big positive, though, from the March game in comparison to what we're going to be seeing now is Ilya Zabarny's back. And he's one of the few foreign-based players in the top five leagues that is actually starting regularly and playing. You know... 
Bournemouth have had a indifferent start to the season. They've had a few losses, a couple draws. But the fact that Ilya Zabani has been starting in all of those games, um, putting in decent shifts, to be honest, overall, yeah, not clean sheets per se, but it's Bournemouth. So they're going to have a hard time in the league anyway. But he's getting that experience in and he seems to be favoured um, by the new manager there, which is also a positive. And can I come to Simon there? And obviously Zabani, he seems to be making a bit of a name now in the EPL. Would you would you agree with that statement that he's he's starting to out, out of the Ukrainian players that have gone across, would you say he's made most prominent steps forward? I mean, I'm surprised to be seen sitting here and saying this, but yes, um, at the moment. I mean, look, I didn't know too much about him when he came over to Bournemouth and he didn't set the world on fire when he got there. But this season he's been solid. He's one of one of Bournemouth's top five, top six players, starting regularly, doing a good job. As Andrew mentioned, clean sheets have been hard to come by, but that is when you're going to Liverpool and stuff and playing Tottenham, it's it's no disgrace four games in. So and given his age, like he is going to come on. Um I'll be in, I mean who who will play alongside him? In all honesty, I think it'll probably be Matt Vienko. Um, right. the Shakhtar centre-back who will, will start in that one because uh, those two have been a sort of a stalwart over the past few years. Kripatov has been playing quite well for Miami. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, I think it's uh, just due to his age and even if we recall the 4-0 loss at the Euros when Shevchenko decided to play three at the back in that game, I'm pretty sure... Um, Krivsov didn't have the best of games against Carry Kane and the early well, you can on. Play him again then. Sounds great. <laughs> put, him back, put him back in. I no, saw thanks. him. Uh, I was. Uh, I was fortunate to be into Miami's uh, uh, Messi's debut for Miami, and I saw him there, and I was quite scared about just how kind of rudderless the defense looked. But they've mm. obviously improved a lot the last couple of weeks. You know, I think a lot of that was to do with the confidence of the side. And confidence is the thing that I have in mind with Mikalenko. I was at the Doncaster game in yeah. the Carabao Cup last week. And Doncaster, who, for those that don't know, are bottom of, or certainly were, bottom of League Two. And I know Everton were not pulling up any trees. But Doncaster targeted Mikalenko. They threw everything down his flank. They they didn't really go on the, on, down Everton's right. They went down the left and attacked him. And what appears to be brittle confidence. And when he came over to England, I was really excited. I think I was, I was at Hull. I think there was a cup game at Hull. Mm. And I saw him there. It might have even been his debut. But I was like, oh, he's looking all right. He's got promising reviews. And he hasn't he hasn't kicked on at all. My fear mm. is that Mudrick, as talented as he is, going to Chelsea, it's just, it could... You look at their team and it's like they've been playing football manager and just selected the best young players in the world. Yeah. without thinking about how they're actually going to develop them and stop other certain players' growth and development being stunted. And Mudrick is, look, I, it all looked to all the world in the world that he would go to Arsenal and he ended up at Chelsea and he did well at Liverpool and you're like, oh, OK. But I mean, apart from that Liverpool game, I cannot remember like a, a wow moment from someone in that position. So... There's, yeah, so we're sat here talking about a Bournemouth defender being the most promising <laughs> what, a, what a surprise. In, in <laughs> uh, as a Southampton fan, I find that hard to say anyway. But it's uh, <laughs> but just weird to say, really. We were doing bucket collections for them 15 years ago. Um, yeah, so it's a, 
I'm Zinchenko. Obviously, is another that will be. But you don't really need to say anything about him. He just he does the job. He gets in and out, and he's he's versatile and and a fantastic leader, from what I can tell. Yeah, and I feel that it's actually going to be interesting to see where he starts because obviously Mikalenko didn't actually play um, against uh, Sheffield United on the weekend. Um, apparently, had a, that or, might be he, to do with Doncaster. <laughs> he didn't play too well, and he also apparently came off of an injury. He was on the bench, so whether he's ready to start, who knows? Yeah. Regardless, I feel that as you mentioned, the Zinchenko versatility there. He can play left back if needed. And, and obviously Jorge Sudakov, for me, he was the standout in in the Ukraine team back in March alongside Zinchenko. Young player, lots of attacking prowess if needed, a very progressive passer, always looking up, trying to show something. Played really well at the Euros, under 21 Euros, that is, this summer. And I feel that he's got really, he should be the next big move away from the Ukrainian Premier League. Sadly, Mikola Shaparanko, who has just recovered from a big injury, which meant that he missed all of 22 23, he's picked up another one and he's already left the camp a couple of days into this international break. So he won't be able to help off the bench or starting from that perspective, which is a shame. I would say even a bit of a blow in terms of depth, because if Sudakov or Zinchko weren't playing, then Shaparenko would definitely be stepping in there. And also, I think worth mentioning that uh, Sidhi Sidrochuk, uh, he missed a day of the camp this week as he went to sign for his brand new team, uh, KVC Vestelur in Belgium, where he's moved away from Dynamo Kiev be interesting to see how that move ends up working, but don't expect to see Sirachuk until the later stages when maybe Ukraine wants to shut up shop or something and the likes of Stepanenko needs a break. However, I would much prefer uh, to see someone like Yehor Nazarena coming in from that perspective. But I do agree with you, Simon, that Madrid, he's not been able to hit on yet at Chelsea. Chelsea probably is not the best environment for the development of talent, especially with how intense the pressure is and the fact that every game you have to do something. And when you're coming on in the last 10 minutes or so, it's increasingly difficult. So we'll see how that ends up. Yarmolenko always had the opportunity of international breaks to show himself when he wasn't performing for West Ham. So maybe Madrid can finally break that duct uh, in this window against either England or Italy. Let's see if he can do that. Preferably Italy. Preferably Italy. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, and then just to round it all off, we've got one debutante, first ever call-up for Yehor Nazarena, uh, sort of defensive midfielder from Shakhtar, who's getting involved in there. Artem Dovbik up top, probably the one that's going to start, despite the fact that Yaremchuk started back in March. Yaremchuk's been scored a few f- hat tricks against uh, Icelandic sides, which doesn't really say anything about a uh, goal scoring form. He's not made his debut for Valencia yet, despite the shock sort of transfer that he made there on loan uh, near deadline day. So I think we probably will be hoping on Dovbik and Vanat to do something 
against England, let's see. But you see also Dovbik starting with Sagankov and Rodrik playing off him in a in a 4-3-3. Possibly, albeit in the June internationals, we saw that Brebrov wanted to use a 4-4-1-1, where, where Tankov was a support striker. So let I think that that's what we're probably going to be leaning towards. After have to ask some. Any surprise? You mentioned earlier about the squad with Harry Maguire, and I think, am I right, Jordan Henderson's in the squad as well, which has got a little bit of press. Any other sort of surprise call-ups, any players to that you think might get, Southgate might give a chance to? Well, honestly, I think he'll just go as strong and as experienced as he can for these games. Uh, certainly the first one. I think you could probably name the team now. It's near enough. It's going to be strong. Um, I can see Harry Maguire starting, so whether you consider that strong, I'll leave that up to you. But he, I, I can see him playing centre-back alongside. Do you give Levi Colwell his debut in an environment like this? Probably not. I'd probably give start Mark Gehi. Uh, England are without John Stones, Eric Dyer, and because well, he doesn't play football anymore, and Tyrone Mings through injury. Luke Shaw is out, so Ben Chilwell will start. Trent Alexander-Arnold's injured and pulled out of the squad on Monday, so he won't be. We won't be experimenting with him in midfield anymore. It's it's going to be pretty strong. Jude Bellingham, I'm sure you'll all be scared of after the way he started for Real Madrid. And we've got an abundance of options to support Kane. And, and it will probably be very similar to, to... I mean, it's probably going to be a very predictable side. The, the only face in the squad which genuinely surprised me is the, uh, there's two uncapped players. One's Levi Colwell, started very well at Chelsea, um, appears to be one of the few young players that is actually developing at Chelsea in these early stages of the season. Uh, fresh off the under-21 Euros and a great season with Brighton. He's had his first formal call-up. He was with the squad in the build-up to the Malta uh, qualifier in June and travelled with England to Malta but did not feature in the squad and he went off to the under-21 Euros. So this is his first chance with the senior set up properly. And then the surprising one is Eddie Nketiah, who no one had really predicted being in the squad. He's England under-21's all-time top goal scorer uh, and he's done pretty well for Arsenal. But, I mean, what Ollie Watkins has to do to get in the squad, I don't know. Uh, I think most international teams would kill for a player of his form in the, in the Premier League. So it's going to be pretty... Uh, if there's any kind of tweaks, I imagine it's going to be Scotland. England are so close to wrapping up qualification and this is their hardest remaining game comfortably on paper. So it's a, it's a real chance to put down a, a marker. And, I, and, and England will know that there'll be an enormous amount of support for Ukraine in... And I want to not butcher the name of this place, Wrocław. Um, after that, you guys have a chance to kick on against Italy and Italy side in transition under new management. So Ukraine's going to be absolutely desperate to get a win and we're going to be absolutely desperate to not lose. I think that's basically how I would be approaching it or how I imagine Gareth Southgate will be. Are you expecting a, a good English contingent out there in Wrocław uh, this weekend? Yes, um, you've, it's a weekend in Poland, um, and it's sunny. Um, it needs no <laughs> I, more, doesn't it? it needs no more. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm hoping it doesn't. Sometimes England fans, some of them get a little bit too stag doy, so hopefully it doesn't turn into that. But I imagine England support travel in great numbers wherever they go, and when it's a place, a chance to visit a place many people won't have visited, and has rave reviews. 
they'll be there in, in great numbers. But yeah, it's it's uh, I, I'm fully expecting it to fill. Sadly, obviously, the match cannot be played in Ukraine, but I fully expect it to feel like a home match. Yeah, and Andrew, uh, what sort of the state of play over there at the moment? I know you're not, you're you're arriving arriving. Is any other news from the camp? So Ukraine arrived in bits per se. Um, they the first contingent arrived on Sunday uh, from Ukraine. Some from Kiev. Some from uh, Lviv, just based on where they had their sort of uh, UPL fixtures. Uh, that then they arrived in Poland from Zhezhov, flew into Rotslav, and they're based around half an hour from Rotslav city in a sort of a small town just outside where they'll be training for the next week. So Rebrov has got a good five days of preparation with the full squad. Monday, sort of the other foreign contingent arrived, the ones that have been playing abroad um, elsewhere, the likes of Dovbik, Tankov, Lunin, Yaramchuk, all the other Premier League lot. So I think that they should have, you know, a good three, four days to get ready and let and let's see how it goes beyond that, to be honest. I think it's going to be interesting in Rotslav because there is a huge Ukrainian contingent there. Um, in terms of people have been living there even before the full-scale invasion, um, a fair amount. We've also seen, I, I, as far as I'm aware, it's quite a university kind of city. So there's a lot of Ukrainian students there too. And Ukrainian Association of Football, in terms of the ticketing, they made it extremely difficult for any England or any UK-based person <laughs> to purchase a ticket in the home end. So if you wanted to go on sort of the UAF ticketing service, um, when it went on general sale after two days of a, uh, you can buy on crypto because that's one of the UAF's sponsors. Um, following that, when it went on general sale, you had to have a Ukrainian VPN or a non-UK VPN. You had to have a Ukrainian number or a non-UK number. And you also had to have a bank account that was registered not in the UK. Um, had to buy a few tickets for some friends that are, live in the UK. That took a while, to be honest. Had to pull levers from friends who live who live in uh, Kiev, etc. But we got there in the end. But I'm hoping that all in all, that it should be a sellout just two weeks before this game. Uh, Alexander Usyk fought against Daniel Dubois in the exact same stadium. So that was sort of the litmus test, the tester for this, I guess, bigger, even more interesting event. Um, from a Ukrainian perspective. However, we have seen over social media over the past year or so that Rotslav or local Rotslav Polish fans, Ro or Slonsk, Rotslav, Slask, for the club that is based there, aren't particularly too fond of Ukrainians or Ukrainian fans. So I just hope that not even based on the from an England perspective, that there's no trouble from like a Polish contingent um, for anyone um, traveling towards it, because I think that it should be a, a, a nice fun occasion. Ukraine and England, very friendly, of course, not just from footballing perspective in recent times. So I'm hoping that it will be a good event, a competitive event. 
and fingers crossed it goes for and hoping as well it's not as controversial as you said Dubois as well. We want this England-English-Ukraine <laughs> battle to be a fair fight. <laughs> and before we move on, I do have to ask, Andrew, were you surprised by the UAF decision to, to host the game here? Possibly, but I feel that Poland probably was the best option. We've got North Macedonia coming up in uh, October at home, in inverted commas, and that's apparently being rumoured to be playing in Prague. So they're already on the move again from that perspective. There's a lot of Ukrainians in Prague as mm -hmm. well. And there has been sort of talk about Slavia Prague offering it for free, but then there's also offers from Sparta Prague and, and other stuff. So we'll see, because that's not been confirmed yet, obviously almost a month until until that game. Um, but <clears throat> let, let's see what happens. I think that Rotslav is a good, is a good choice for the fact that there are a lot of Ukrainians there have been a lot of Ukrainians there for a long time. And I feel that come match day, it should be close to, if not a sellout. There was talk about this game with England being held in Austria, uh, in either Klagenfurt or Vienna for a while. Um, there was even reports in the, the Austrian press that that was going to happen. But it, to me, it kind of always made sense for, and I know Shakhtar are going to be playing in Hamburg in the, in the Champions League and stuff. Well, from a purely amount of Ukrainians percentage population-wise, Yes, I feel that Poland probably is the best place because there are just so many Ukrainians there, like in the millions up to five, apparently. And that's not just refugees. It's also economic migrants who've moved there for years. And I mean, it's pretty easy to get to even if you live in somewhere like Germany or Austria or the UK, even, you know, cop on a flight. And there you are. And even for people from Ukraine that might be coming over, you know, what um, women, children that might want to come for the day or something like that. Pretty quick. Maybe not getting over the border, but I mean, it's relatively simple um, compared to going even further away. So I don't fully understand in terms of the logic of maybe moving elsewhere from an Austria perspective or, as we mentioned, Prague. But I feel that it's all to do with economics at the end of the day. It's to do with like how much all of it's going to cost um, from that perspective, rather than a full focus on attracting a lot of fans. Am I right in adding that Shakhtar would have hosted their UCL games in Poland if a stadium was going to be available? that can host UCL games. It's uh, Warsaw qualified for one of the group stages, which took that stadium out of use this year for them. Yeah, exactly. So I think it was Legia Warsaw that they were sort of where they played last year. And similarly this year, they just thought we can probably do a bit better economically uh, in Germany because we can attract some Ukrainians, but we've got a better chance of attracting some of the home support in the country that we'll be based in, per se, Hamburg. And I mean, prior to the Champions League draw that took place last week, they'd sold 30,000 um, sort of season tickets for all three, for the sort of the three home games that they're going to be playing there uh, without even the opponents being known. So that just shows that from an economic perspective, I think Schechter have made the right choice. The England game isn't the only game this international break, although we would love to play England 
all the time. It's always a fantastic event. But we're, as Simon mentioned earlier, uh, we also face the Italian side that is in transition. And there's been some surprising changes with the national team over the last um, even month with with management, if I'm right there, Andrew. Yep, Roberto Mancini's out. And it's uh, Luciano Spalletti, lover of Zenit St. Petersburg, in. If there was ever more motivation than that. Okay? Yeah. Well, let's see what happens. It's, I think, you know, they've got to... They were, to be honest, I feel that prior to this, if Mancini was still around, Ukraine might have even had a better chance because they seem to have been having a few issues. They obviously lost to England and they might have been more up for the taking. But now you get the classic sort of new manager bouts. Um, even that even happens in uh, international football. Um, he's called up a relatively young squad but a, quite a dangerous one I think it's going to be a tough one and the fact it's at the San Siro as well it should be an iconic game but the fact that it is going to be Spalletti's well his, his first sort of one of his first competitive games it leaves Rebrov in a bit of a dilemma like how are we going to face up against them we don't know how they're going to set up Maybe you might can sort of completely switch up against things. So it, it's going to be difficult. But, you know, if Ukraine can get even a draw away from home, I think it will be a big boost in, in the battle for, for second place because Ukraine versus Italy is the final game in this group. So that could end up being sort of the shootout, the finale for this one, a lot more exciting because England will probably have uh, the group wrapped up by then. If it's, uh, I, Simon, love to get your thoughts on the Italian side. Obviously, England played them back in March and had a, a, a pleasing victory for, for the English team. And uh, a few words on the Spalletti appointment as well. Uh, yeah, um, maybe I'd missed something, but I was surprised to see Man Mancini leave. Um, in the way he did, and then to, my to mysteriously turn up in Saudi Arabia, presumably for the love of the game, um, a couple of weeks later. But, I mean, he, he's done a good job, Spalletti, at Napoli last season. Uh, it was an excellent coach. I, I was fortunate to be at their home game against Liverpool and was blown away by the style of football that he'd got them to play. Um, whether he can have that impact straight away with Italy, I'm not so sure. I mean... There was an era not so long ago where you'd look at an Italy squad and every position you'd go, wow. And now <laughs> there's a, I look at different positions and I say, who? Um, and that's not to, meant to be offensive. And that's what I mean about them being in transition. They, they seem to be in perpetual transition. Yeah, they, they beat England in the Euros final. Can't argue with that. I thought over the course of the tournament, they were the best team um, and obviously better at penalties. Um, but they... They've lost a lot of key players since then. They've obviously failed to make a number of major tournaments over the last six to eight years. So they're, they're, they're constantly striving to change. And that means that their call-ups are players that aren't as familiar. I remember seeing Nyonto make his debut. Obviously, he's come to the Premier League now and did, and, and did pretty well at Leeds. But when you're giving a player who's only played in Swiss football... Um, his debut at 18 that kind of shows you kind of that 
it feels like they're where England were maybe five years ago when Gareth Southgate was giving Callum Hudson Odoi his debut, Jane Sancho's debut at 18 19 because they were promising players and he was looking to continually develop the side. And that's kind of feels what the project that uh, the, the new manager is taking over. It's going to be going to be an interesting watch. Um, I'll be perfectly honest; I haven't seen much of the Italian side. I've definitely not in World Cups over the last uh, <laughs> decade or so. It's a, I'm, all, I'm pretty sure I've read a stat somewhere. The last time they won a knockout game in the in the World Cup was the t- 2006 final. I, I digress. I digress. Um, right. I think I think shall we have some predictions? Ray, you've been you've been sat quietly over there. You've been very well behaved in the corner. Uh, <laughs> but the t- but the two matches, how do you see them playing out? Presumably a draw. I would I would settle with a draw. I would settle. I would even settle with the boring football. If we show boring football and a draw and two points, Andrew. Yeah, two to four points will do me, but that's very ambitious. <laughs> oh, even I, th- I think most some Which people would- even take one point. Which way around, though? I don't care, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, a win at the San Siro would be iconic, but just from a personal perspective, it would be more sweeter um, to be England just to rub it into a few friends of mine. But anyway, um, let, let's just settle for two points, two draws, uh, and, and we'll keep it at that. Just make England's qualifying campaign slightly more exciting for at least an extra game take it into October before they actually seal the deal Simon oh look as a fan of narrative I'd like there to be some I don't want to be sound like a spoiled Englishman but these qualification campaigns uh, you you kind of run out of ways to say England have won we've got the tournament and then you get to the tournament and you don't win so it would be nice to have something slightly different I was actually speaking to someone at the Football Association during this to see what the permutations would be. And it doesn't seem likely that England can officially rubber stamp their place this month anyway, because England have only got one qualifier and it relies on, I think Malta beating North Macedonia might be the bit where it falls down. Um, but yeah, I, as I said at the start, I can see a score draw. Um, it's at that stage of the season where the English players aren't fully up to speed. It's at that stage of the season uh, where, as I said, he's he's having to rely on the tried and tested rather than necessarily the players that are getting the most game time and are in the most form. And they're playing against the Ukraine side with, if I'm honest, a lot more to play for at this stage of the qualification campaign than, than England. So with that in mind, I can see I can see this being a school draw. And then look, hopefully you can beat Italy for for us and as we try and get any punishment we can get for the for the Euros final. So uh I'd back you to win at the South Serie. You can do 6-0 if you want. Oh, brilliant. Thank you for that. All right, then. Simon, it's, we really appreciate you taking taking the time to talk with us today. It's been some great insight in there. And, yeah, where will you be watching the game? I will be in the stands uh, in, at the Tarsinski, um, deciding whether to wear shorts or jeans, depending on the temperature out there. But hopefully, as as Andrew said, it all goes peacefully. We can all have a nice time and watch an entertaining game. He hopes so as well. And say once again, thank you, thank you for joining us tonight.
And as much as we're excited for the the international weekend, there's been a hell of a lot of action going on over the last few weeks. Transfer window slammed shut last week and some surprising transfers going through, to put it mildly. Uh, Ray, which transfer caught your eye the most? As I announced previously, I started watching European leagues uh, this month because of our representatives there. I would assume that is a record number of representatives in top flight uh, of uh, European leagues uh, this season. Uh, Malinowski came back to Italy. It did catch my eye because it's kind of a career reloaded for him after Marseille, uh, which didn't actually pan out for him. Let's see if he can get it back in um, Appenin Peninsula. And... And he is under Alberto Gilardino, the famous striker, and the new team, the new formation, the new ideas. Come on, let's bring it on. I am I support Cagliari and Genoa this season. Complete opposite. <laughs> but uh, Malinowski is playing the right winger, which is not his position. And his debut was not that promising. So let's hope that his adaptation would, wouldn't be so um, complicated as it was in France. Also, of course, we have uh, Romani Ramczyk in Valencia. The huge struggle of, of from him in both Belgium and Portugal the last two seasons. Same as the other prospect we announced before. Nazari Rusin is moving to Sandal in championship. For me, this guy was in Zoria, I know, but he went under the radar for quite a while. It's saying that he was in Poland, he had problems with the adaptation there. And now he's moving to championship from all championships. <laughs> Sorry for that. But when they announced him, they used the picture from the way back in history match uh, with Chelsea, which Dinamo famously lost 0-5 and 0-3. And I was present in one of these games. And they used Harmash as a central forward back then, which I think Andrew would love to hear it. <laughs> is also, uh, Dennis Harmash is also making headlines these days because he left Dinamo. But moving on, coming back to Nazar Rusin, he's definitely a um, prospect to mention because he is a, he is all confident, he is all relaxed give, giving out the interviews uh, on a seesaw in some Kiev neighborhoods under this summer sun. He's going to have a friend there, a young uh, player in the youth team of Sunderland and he's he's going to have someone to talk about, to talk to and talk about obviously. He says he loves Ukraine Nazar Rusin that is, but he would like to drive himself abroad, which is completely understandable. But with uh, Romanya Remchuk Bottom line is, well, Valencia is not the one we remember it. It's not as bad as Deportivo La Coruña, obviously, from 20 years ago. But hey, all I'm expecting is the rise of the bats, just like we saw them doing that in two European finals in a row in 2000-2001. This was sponsored by old school football. Good luck to Roman Remchuk. Definitely so, definitely so. Andrew, got to get your take on this. The Rusin transfer to Sunderland, we've seen Swansea taking Ukrainian players. You know, there seems to be a huge swell of support for bringing Ukrainian players to the UK at the moment. What do you think is behind it? Well, um, I I was talking to someone um, the other day about why it might be a thing. And I feel that it's kind of an untapped market. The players outside of, you know, Dinamo or Shakhtar, you can probably snap up pretty cheaply. As has Rusin bin, apparently two and a half million 
euros plus another two and a half million in bonuses if he ends up doing well. You know, why wouldn't you take a risk on that when if you have to, you have to buy a 17-year-old for 7 million, which Sunderland have also done in terms of Jude Bellingham's brother, Job. They did that earlier on in the window. So it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts, to be honest, because he's never struck me as a player that's like, wow, this guy's going to set the world alight. He's like a super amazing prospect. But age 24, he seems to be good enough in terms of the last season that he's had coming in off the left wing. He can also play on the right. He can also play centre-forward, which is his sort of main position, per se. But he's not really a target man, per se, because he doesn't have the physical attributes for that. Good luck to him, in all honesty. I just hope that the adaptation process works, because as Ray alluded to earlier, it didn't go out too well for him in Poland. He had a falling out of the manager. He got, you know, a six-month loan. He spent most of it at the sort of under-19s or whatever, where he got demoted to, didn't play. He just needs to learn English pretty quickly, ideally. And I mean, it's not going to be too easy up in the northeast where the accent's like ridiculous. But fortunately, Rusin himself, um, a sort of a unique way of talking in Ukrainian. So that'll be interesting to see. And Bray alluded to Yaremchuk moving to Valencia. Good luck to him as well. Fresh start, but not the Valencia that people probably remember of old. So it's going to be a tough season for them, but he just needs to hit the ground running, get a few goals and build that confidence back. And one person we haven't mentioned yet is that the golden boy, Viktor Kovalenko, has found a new club. He's at Empoli now. Um, mm-hmm. After obviously, uh, he's actually on loan from Atalanta. So let's see how he progresses. But I mean, no real serious hopes of him ever getting back into the national team unless he sort of sets the world alight there. In all honesty, but um, moving on to Dennis Hadamash, he has had his contract mutually terminated by Dynamo Kiev, so he's now a free agent. He's had links with Osiek in Croatia, most recently Kahim Paris, the uh, the Jamaican winger, came to Dynamo last summer, played next to no minutes. Uh, he's going on loan somewhere in Azerbaijan. But yeah, um, a typical window. There was a few sort of last-minute deals going on. Cliff Bass going for the African market quite heavily this window. And I mean, it's working quite well for them so far. Diabanga, great player um, for them, very key. They brought in the Ru- Rwanda captain, who's settled in pretty well. And they brought in a Togo international um, and an Ivory Coast player as well. Not an international, but one that looks rather promising. Let's see how they crack on, because they've not had a too bad start to the season under Werner Dub. Um, pretty solid outfit. Disciplined now a lot more than they were in the past. Um, but interesting, to say the least. Sadly, no Viv Cherenko going to Spurs. Yeah, that is true. Remember that, uh, I think it was in either the last episode or the one before that, we mentioned the riddle from Dynamo Kiev inside where Adam came up with Vivchenko to Burnley. It was close. He got the player right, but it was Spurs 
due to I think the in Bruges joke um, being the meme. But yeah, Vitrenko did not move to Spurs because Igor Sokis wanted 15 million for him. And Daniel Levy probably heard that and was like, put the phone down, probably didn't even respond. Yeah, also given the fact that Daniel Levy is basically English Igor Sokis in some point in transfers. <laughs> definitely so, definitely so. I mean, it's it's not only the players that have been doing, you know, jumping on the merry-go-round and everything. We've seen a few managers uh, politely depart and depart in less polite manners. And there's been a few changes there over the last couple of weeks as well. I mean, we are a month into the season, so what's you know what's football if we haven't had a good sacking, right? I don't know the exact number of coaches being sacked during this month because it's been like five match days for me. And then there was the other one before the uh, national team break. And that leads me to the table because when I look at the table, when we presented the league this season, uh, we have uh, six teams which are like old school Ukrainian football, six teams which uh, have been uh, already in the league, but in some way got reborn and four clubs which are relatively new so i try to establish for myself and to tell you guys and the listeners who which of these teams is going to play football this season like i liked how alan looked uh looked in the beginning of the season i liked um colos uh, Ruh, and now it's all mixed up <laughs> because of the sackings because of the ways uh players um behave i don't know colos leading the table and now they're back where they belong. Uh, Kurvbaz just fighting every game. It's complete madness. And, well, is it good that we have Dulup coming back as in famous, uh, well, Belarusian school of coaching? I mean, we, we, we of all people should know, right? Kuchuk and Ruch, Dulup and Karpati previously. It's, uh, it, this is a merry-go-round. And guys still opting for them because Kovpak had a vision. He was a young coach, recently a player, but they sack him. Now, Lalatovic barely had any vision. They got they brought Mladen, uh, the friend of the pod, and we wish him good luck. And he, he almost pulled off a miracle in European qualifiers. We don't know the exact reason. Did they have it in them to actually beat Slavia and proceed? Uh, but it was very close effort. And finally, the club, uh, which represents uh, one of the biggest cities in Ukraine, um, monitored and ruled by the um, person who recently been under investigation wearing the club's jacket. Um, probably I've said enough already. Yeah, it's been a been a busy, busy, busy few weeks. Not only have we had the transfers, the managers, we've almost had a club go out of business, and then not as well. We'll come to you, Andrew. You've got to explain what exactly went on there because one day the metalists were closing down, and the next day they've got a new owner, as far as I can tell. Very bizarre. Yeah, so coming in to match day six, midweek last week, Metalist 925, they were very close to going bankrupt. Their owner or part owner or sponsor, club sponsor. Let's put it at that. Someone who puts in the most money into the club. AES Group, who are, I think, an energy club of uh, energy company of some sort. They announced that due to Russian shelling of multiple sort of assets and locations, they 
are not able to continue to fund Metalist 925. And the director of the club, uh, Andrina Dayan, he came out and said, yep, yeah, it's true. Uh, we've got a few days left and that is it. And then two days later, he came out with a new statement saying, fortunately, we've been able to save the club. We've got a new sponsor. We've got new backing. Uh, the club will live and it will continue. And that new backing, new sponsor is Volodymyr Nosov, who is the founder and CEO of Whitebit, which is the largest crypto platform in Europe and uh, also a sponsor of OAF and Ukraine. So if you had a Whitebit account, you could buy tickets to England versus Ukraine or Malta, Ukraine versus Malta um, priority um, a few days before the tickets went on general sale. But yeah, so they're taking over now. They've already got their sponsors on the kits of Metalist 925. They wore that against the Roca at the weekend. Fingers crossed we can see, well, it's a new wave millionaire per se owner or sponsor. It's like unofficially not an owner. I, I don't really know the intricacies of sort of the economics of it, but it looks like they're going to be surviving at least for some time still from a deep pro one perspective though and that seems to be up in the air a very interesting soap opera has started with regards to deep pro one of course they embarrassed themselves in uefa competitions didn't they they started in the champions league they lost to panathinaikos they also lost out to Dolpik. and they dropped down into the europa league what happened there they lost to Slavia. And then from Slavia, they ended up playing against Spartak Ternava, a team that they definitely should be beating if you're finishing second in the UPL and almost challenging for the title going into the last days of the season. Did they beat Spartak Ternava? No, they did not. They got knocked out of all three competitions. The first team ever to do so without winning a round. So there have been other clubs that have not been knocked out of all three comps, but Nipro 1 went into every single competition by losing the previous one. So you've had other other clubs that have started off in like the first qualifying round of the Champions League going into the second one and then dropping out from there. But Nipro 1 setting records. And from a Nipro 1 perspective, they're alleged ghost owner is now under investigation for corruption uh, in the in Ukrainian courts. He's currently in prison for the time being whilst he awaits a appeal and he's not going to be taking bail apparently and that bail equivalates to 509 million hryvnia which is around two Artem Dovbiks if you want to put it into perspective. But the official president of Nipro One, Yuri Bereza, he's come out and said that <clears throat> that Ihor Kolomoisky has got nothing to do with the club and uh, that he will continue be, to be funding it. He said that in three different interviews, different things about Kuchar, who was the manager, obviously, that has resigned in recent weeks. 
uh, as well as Yevhen Krasnikov, who arrived with him from Metalist um, last summer. Krasnikov has also left. He's apparently going back to Metalist in Pershalika to help them try and survive and get back on their feet. <clears throat> and this all leads to the mess that Dnipro 1 is right now. They don't have a manager. They are also moving back to Dnipro City to play at Dnipro Arena, their home games and their cup games for the season, which has already caused a big problem. So Domingo Blanco doesn't want to go back there. There's a big question whether he will return. I think that it's almost certain that he probably will leave the club. Um, Max Wallef also is under question because he's like third choice keeper now, despite being the starter all, all of last season. Um, he is, I think, sceptical about going to Dnipro. Apparently, some Ukrainian players who are not from Dnipro are also sceptical about going there. And rightly so, because it is quite heavily bombarded a lot. I mean, there was, an ex there was, there was a direct hit missile about 200 metres from Dnipro Arena a few weeks ago. Um, so the fact that that decision is being made is obviously from an economic perspective because they probably can't afford to carry on playing in Ushrod. And there's also no logistical sense to it because they're not playing in Europe. So they don't need to get out the borders very quickly or anything like that. Let's see how long they last because I really think there are questions on whether they're going to finish the season at this stage, to be all honest. There's like rumours that Dimitro Mihailenko might return as manager, who was the ex-manager, you know, very deep voice, but he is currently, I think, in Cyprus or something. Why would he trade that to come back to Dnipro 1? It, it just doesn't make sense. And with everything that's happening with the investigation into Kolomoisky, with the vector potentially turning onto sort of Ukrainian domestic, I'd be surprised if Nipro won number one finish the season. Maybe they won't get relegated, but they're certainly not going to be challenging for any titles again. Yeah, definitely so. Definitely so. Um, it's probably a good jumping off point to the European campaign. The Nipro and before we go into it, I have to say it's a nice way to change the narrative about the European campaign. Because if we start with the worst performers in the Nipro, minus one, um, the only way is up. And we can start looking at slightly better things than the abject performance that was the Nipro minus one over the over the past week. Um what Dynamo counts as slightly worse or slightly better? Slightly better. They got through a round. Sorry, they won a match. Oscar, they they won a match. <laughs> so it's 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 getting getting slightly better. You know, you can't be as bad as the Nipro minus one. Um, at the time of recording, of course, um, before the group stages started, seventeenth in the coefficient table, uh, with a very sad look, one point seven so far points this season which is a lot lower than all the other counterparts. But interesting one that I read today, UEFA rank Twitter account is a really good one to follow. And they've shared that with the change in the Champions League, if the holder 
if the winner of this year's Champions League automatically qualifies as champions, Shakhtar are in prime position to get an automatic slot in the group stages again. And it will take that extra extra place at the moment. Only uh, if they win the league. Only if they win the UPL. Only if they win the league. So it's I thought it was quite interesting one today. I was like, okay, there's a, there's always a an additional clause. But um Zarya, as Ray, you mentioned the Bartolovich effect. I thought they were quite unlucky in the end. It just didn't it just wasn't meant to be. They looked really good in the first half. Then they made Bartolovich made a few changes, sort of made the team a bit more tepid. A lot of quality came off in terms of Guerrero, Alifarenko. They were subbed. And yeah, they conceded in the end from, you know, a nothing chance, really. It could have gone to extra time, could have gone to penalties, but hey-ho. But, I mean, you look at their, their, their group in the, uh, Europe, in the Europa Conference League and you'd hope that they'd be able to challenge for second, really. Let's see how it goes because there's been talk about uh, Krivensov becoming the new manager there. That's not been announced. Uh, it's the obviously the international break now, so anything can happen. Bartolovic didn't look too bad as manager um, there, but evidently he's not had experience in this position before, other than being a caretaker in Valets. So whether Yevhen Heller he didn't do too bad when he was yeah. caretaker there either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's see if Yevhen Heller will back him or not. It'll be it'll be interesting to see, but. I mean, who have they got in their group? Ghent. Um, the, One of the uh, Israeli, Israeli teams. Maccabee Tel Aviv. Maccabee Tel Aviv, who uh, Guerrero came from. So he's going back to his former club. And uh, Bride, Bride Barrack, which is, back, the first, yeah. which is the first ever Icelandic team in a European group stage. So... Let's see how it goes. I'm I'm hoping well, that at least they can get some points. I mean, one one thing we have to, have to say about European football: you can't underestimate anyone these days. And the you know the Icelandic teams there on on performance, they won their matches, and so you, we can't go into it. It's just seeing it as a two two banker victories. They have to be earned. I'd say, sorry, yeah, I agree with you. Zoria got the ability to compete for that second spot. I think it's going to be important that they do, definitely. And maybe, right, with the roosting transfer, they're not going to wait till, like, November for the UEFA money to come through to pay the players this time around. So we might get some good performances in the early match days instead. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, uh, we should. I think we should just sum up the the league so far right because you mentioned the money that uh, uh, clubs getting from transfers and um this these days it's not even about the money in the ukrainian league is it i mean a lot of people are talking about our football coming back to the 90s and how scary it was and how the uh, fans are um, asking each other where are the academy players why are we buying Tanzani tanzanians or africans what's wrong with our guys and the other fan replies Without them, you want us to fight for relegation. And I realized that 
looking back at these six uh, match days which we have in the league and now we have a national team break we have to sum up the league and as i as i told you guys i, I would like to like maybe detach a little bit from the results and statistics because it's all there anyway the highlights are there the coverage is decent but as you said adam right uh maybe we should change the narrative and if we want to do that and we have to look at um the table of the league which is actually better flipped because the teams are not fighting for anything they are not fighting for um there's no nowhere to go from upl there there's there's <laughs> there's room to fall which a lot of uh, teams are actually fighting for who's who is going to fall down because up there the championship you cannot you cannot get there is shakhtar the only sustainable club these days it's nowhere to near it and if you want to have a second position like like the team from nipro city just showed us which you fail every other competition. This is the silver medalist from the last season. If you want to get a second position, you get less money if you get the bronze medal. So why would you fight for the sports, sports in sporting interests? Why would you fight for anything? Because you better finish lower if you want to finish top five at all. And yeah, these days where we cannot be asked to win to beat the teams like Spartak Tanava or Slavia, we 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 saw that no matter who plays, Ruh, Kolos, Krivbaz. It's reality. Like we have the uh, money which players get. Uh, IT guys from Ukraine get more these days, and this is healthy. This is inevitable, and this is happening right now. This is what we have, and this is the mirror of the reality these days. And it's the time to reload the whole thing because when we say when I'm talking about the table being flipped, have a look at the table and see how many teams in the bottom are actually fighting between each other because let's be clear like we don't even have top five anymore we have top one and top 15 and, and i mean bottom 15 whoa, that's whoa. all you're forgetting about policia <laughs> you're welcome andrew yeah uh so and if we want to look back at the 90s it wasn't not that bad because we had players which brought us the generation brought us Konoplanka. we were in the world cup with the with the under blocking we were in the quarterfinal and we even won the we became the champions of europe uh in 2009 on uh, under 21 level i, I believe under kalitvinsa now he's the coach of police andrew and some people criticize him because he's saying he's a p teacher this guy is a European champion from 12 years ago. Then we become the world uh, champion. And what do we get? Where are the guys now? It's interesting to follow their roots, but we know plenty of them are in Shakhtar and some of them are in Dynamo, I believe. But, and I mean, Sitaishvili, who scored the goal in the final, went on to Georgia just to peacefully play football without all the requirements which we need. And in Ukrainian football, we know that if you are worth something, then you are not going to end up in in uh, Turkey or Belgium or Netherlands because the only team who might buy you is Karpaty Lviv. When the captain of Alexandria going back to Karpaty to play under a decent coach to get more money in the lower division, this is where we are now. We can have a look at Lviv better because we saw an interview in Tribuna by Irina Kozupa and their academy coach says, we teach our kids without cups and medals. Cups and medals don't do no justice at this point. And this is a change which I, has to be said. It's it's the drop in the ocean. 
but at least it's being said and the message is being delivered across. That's a good example. Yeah. Now in the league, coming back to our league table, we have this co- we have these coaching sackings, we have these uh, referee decisions. Obolon being suffering about the un- unfairness from VAR and stuff. But let's not forget that Obolon is the one who kills football in the league these days. And no matter what Polisa has in store for them, no matter no matter how much money they have, they present a healthy business model. They hired Deniso, of all people, to represent their marketing department. And he uh, cleared the Makoana reputation when the fans uh, were protesting against him, remember? He said in the interview, we just doubled the materials about him. We br- brought up his confidence and we see the result. Polisa is second. And that's true. But on the opposite side, Obolon, which I'm a fan of, as you all know, is the opposite of football. Because even though it's it's contrasting, and that's what I'm leading to right now, guys. Bear with me for one more minute. <laughs> Obolon is the family club. It's run by the president. His son is the captain, number 10, who is the direct reason why we kill football in the league. Because when you have number 10, and the number 10 is president's son, who does not, who is not present on the pitch, you play the match from the first minute with 10 men. And if you are suffering from the referees who sends off another player, you play nine players. So there's no choice but to kill football. But on the other hand, Obolon is the healthy, I quote, healthy model of the club because they just uh, rule in, under their own side. And that's how Ukrainian anthem goes, remember? We rule on, in our own side, in our own shade. We're not getting on top of the radar. We are quietly dealing with our business, but not when this business is Ukrainian Premier League, obviously. So summing up what I just said, remembering Kolomoisky in his jacket and the other moment which caught my eye in Kolo's game, because Kolo's game is the only, Kolo's team is was on top of the table in the beginning, right? We all remember that. But I don't understand what this team is, who this team is playing for. And the answer is there. It's they're playing for their president. When Bezborodko scored one goal, he didn't go and celebrate with his family or his wife or his friends. He showed he showed how many goals he scored to the president. And president replied, I need two from you tonight. So that's what you owe me. And that's what all the players in all the uh, clubs in the league right now owe to the football of Ukraine. They owe it to their presidents. And Bottom line is, we are we have the case of the club being saved by the new model of business, crypto, the biggest crypto apparently in the, in Europe. And Metalist 1925 is the club who's being saved. You make a number of good points there, and like at times it frustrates me. Um, I saw it after the Champions League draw. You know, Shakhtar, difficult group. Was it Barcelona, Porto, Royal Antwerp? Um, Three established clubs, crikey. Earlier today, we were talking about the excitement of, you know, Rubin going to Benfica in the Portuguese, you know, our rivals of Porto. And then I read on Twitter, people say, yeah, Shakhtar, well, Porto are beatable. What planet are you living on if that's what you think? I mean, this is where the top players in the top club in Ukraine are aspiring to go to. And it's not where the Ukrainian football is at at the moment. We hope that he gets back there one day and gets back to being a top 10 nation in Europe. And we know that Ukrainian players have got the ability to do it. 
they've got the technical know-how, but at the moment, the finances just aren't there. They're, no, they're elsewhere. And we have to accept that, you know? Um, as many people know, I live in the country. In the old days, I was told by a, a football fan here, they used to have a public holiday when the national team scored a goal in, a, in an international match. Uh, however, these days, they're sitting in sorry, the Sorry, place. Adam, did, did they, did they have, do you know if they had one when Jason Rodriguez scored an own goal against us? No, they didn't. They'd moved on from then. And um, these days, they sit in third place in their uh, Euro 24 qualification group as well, hoping to go there. But what they did, you know, they stopped tearing the teams apart every time they lost the match. Instead, they celebrated the victories. They celebrated the small steps. And I know it's hard for a lot of people when, like you mentioned 2009, uh, you mentioned 2019, all these. But the reality is now, Wolfsburg have been knocked out in the first round of Europe how many times over the last few years? Colos scraped through a, a one-off match. We were talking a couple of pods ago that the Vorskla victory against the Georgian team was the first non-Shaktar or uh, Dinamo victory in Europe for however many years in a qualification match. Funnily enough, Zoria have added to it by beating uh, Slavia in the second leg there. But we should be saying, yeah, well done, Zoria beat Slavia Prague in that, in that game. Not... Oh, they got knocked out on aggregate. It was it was actually to win two one against the team from from Prague. There, good result, I thought. And we need to start looking at things in a new way because we want people to keep it going, want people to get behind it. But we only celebrate the victories, and people get behind victories. People get get behind positivity. Somebody's well whinging about it. I've said my piece anyway. <laughs> uh, I think we've we've gone through it. Well done to everybody who's still listening to us now, however many minutes we are into this one. It's been a good good one though. Until the next time we all get together, take care, stay safe, and goodbye for now. Bye-bye. Oh,